Amen. God is faithful. Always faithful. Sometimes we may question that, but it's only because of our lack of faith. God is always faithful. Well, I guess you can see, uh, I thought today was still July. <laughs> Actually, I knew it was August. I'm just cheating. So, y'all can cheat with me. Uh, it's still hot in August, so lose the tie, uh, lose the jacket. When things start cooling off, we'll, me and Brian will put them back on. You don't have to, but you know. Uh, but we were doing no tie July and no suit summer. Well, school's back in town. I mean, school's back in, but I don't think the weatherman knows that summer's over, but uh, it's really not. So uh, we just want you to be comfortable. Uh, thank you for being here today. It's great to be in the house of the Lord, great to worship the name of the Lord as God's people. And uh, this morning I'm starting a new sermon series entitled Gold. You know, the Olympics started Friday. Anybody been watching the Olympics? I don't know what nation is leading the gold count uh, as of now, but, you know, athletes are going for gold. I mean, that's why they compete. They're not going for silver, right? I'm going to the Olympics. I want to win bronze. That's my goal, bronze. Can't wait to win that bronze medal. Of course not. They're going for gold. Now, they may have to settle for bronze. They may have to settle for silver, but that's not what their goal is. Their goal is gold. So let me ask you this morning. What's gold for you? What is it that you're aiming for? What is it that you really desire more than anything else? Honestly, what's gold for you? What is it that, that would be your crowning achievement? Money? Sure, I think we all need money. Money so we can have more things. Money so we can do more traveling. Money so we can spend more leisure time. Maybe it's fame or popularity. Being well-known, being liked. Maybe it's control. You want to control more things. You want to have power over things and people. Maybe it's uh, career success, to reach the pinnacle of, of your career. Or maybe it's relationships. That's your gold. I want more time with my family. I want, I, maybe I, maybe uh, you're a, uh, a mother here, or maybe you're a woman here, that your desire is just to have a baby. That's gold for you. I want to be a mom. Maybe dads or men, it's to be a dad. I want to be a dad. I, I just crave being a father. Maybe it's a spouse you're looking for. I'm single. I'm of marriageable, marriageable age, and I just want somebody to love and to share life with. Maybe it's even something else. But ask yourself, is your gold temporal or eternal? If you get what you really want, how long is it going to last? What has happened in many cases is that we have turned the things God gave us and intended for our protection and our provision and even our pleasure, and we've made them into our pursuit, our purpose for living, our preference. And in so doing, 
We have poisoned our spirits and imprisoned our lives. We've come to cherish the gift and despise the giver. You say, preacher, I don't despise God. How much time did you spend with him this week? How much time did you spend in the Word this week? How much time did you spend talking to him this week? I mean, quality, quantity, undivided, undistracted, time alone with God. In comparison to how much time you spent pursuing other things that you feel like you have to do. You see, we've come to cherish the gift, the blessing, and despise the blesser. We would say we don't despise him, but we tell a different story with our lives. And God is no longer our gold. We've made something else our gold. I want you just to listen to this scripture because oftentimes we use it in another context. But I want you to listen to it from the context I just gave you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, we read that in the context of those who have a debased mind, those who have rejected Jesus Christ, but read it in the context... Of the, that I just gave you about Christians or so-called Christians who have exchanged God for some other gold, for some other purpose, for some other pursuit. We have worshipped and served the creature, the gift, instead of the giver, the creator. And see, this is the context where we read the next phrase, the next verses. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Does that describe America? How did we get here? Well, it's their fault. I think God would say, no, church, it's our fault. 
because we're the ones that exchanged our gold. We're the ones that made the blessing the ultimate aim. The ultimate purpose was to have all these things, to have all this time to do whatever we wanted to do. And we're reaping what we've sown. This is idolatry. This is wickedness. This is sin. So today we're going to look at the father of our faith, Abraham, as he learned that God was his gold. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Opening Bible, opening book of the Bible, 12th chapter, verse 1. Now, before we read that verse, I want to ask you, in Abraham's life, what you know of Abraham, or let's say Abram, before he became Abraham. Abram and Sarah, what do you know about Sarai? She was, she could not have children. She was old. Abram was old. No child. So what would you say for Abram and Sarah was their gold? A child. We just want a baby. Lord, you promised me that my descendants will be as the stars of the heaven and the seas of the sea, uh, shore, but, but I don't even have a child. That's gold for me. Abram, God told Abram, chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Now, God, first of all, I want you to see, calls us out of idolatry. You don't see that here, but if you look at where Abram came from, you see in the previous verses of chapter 11 that uh, they came, their family came from Ur of the Chaldeans. Now that was an a idolatrous city. This was an idolatrous family. They practiced idolatry. They worshipped the moon god. In fact, this is the roots of the Muslim faith. They trace it back to that point. Ur of the Chaldees is the same as Babylon, basically. And um, it's where everything is, all the evil's coming back to. They're going to rebuild the city of Babylon. But it was rooted in idolatry. In Revelation chapter, the Bible says in Revelation, Babylon's going to be rebuilt. It's gonna, she's going to rear her ugly, idolatrous head again. And we see that coming to fruition in our lifetime, where people are loving the things of this world more than they're loving God. So Abram, God said, Abram, get out of your country. I want you to leave where you're from. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your father's house, and I'm going to show you where I'm going to lead you. God calls each and every one of us today out of idolatry. Now, what is idolatry? Well, by the, by the way, Exodus chapter 2, the first commandment, Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. He said in verse 2 to Israel, I am the Lord your God. I am your gold. I am your God. You shall have no other gods before me. He said, don't make anything of a graven image to bow down and worship it. So today, what is idolatry? Well, I'll give you some brief de a brief definition. It's seeking fulfillment in something or someone other than God himself. If you're seeking fulfillment in more money, money's your idol. If you're seeking fulfillment in a higher position at work, that's your idol. If you're seeking in fame or popularity, that's your idol. If you're seeking fulfillment through some relationship, you've got to have that or you won't have arrived. That's your God. And we all, my friends, we battle idolatry. 
It rears its ugly head in our lives, and we've got to bring it, not under control, we've got to cast down the idols. We have to destroy them. We have to leave them completely behind. That doesn't mean leave your family. That doesn't mean leave your spouse. That doesn't mean leave your children or leave your job. It means to leave them off as being the utmost. Put it in its right perspective. You see, idolatry is also rebellion. It's a readiness and a willingness to do everything but what you know you should. Take example, again, back to this week. You know what you did this week. You know where your time went. Some of you say, but I don't know, it flew by so fast. Again, think, did you have quality time with the Lord this week? Were you in his word? School started this week. Busy. Did you have time in the word? Did you have time communing with God in prayer? Listening to God? Were you walking with him throughout the day? I mean, maybe so. I hope you were. But statistics show otherwise. The average church member spends less than five minutes a day in their relationship with God. And we wonder, why is our nation in the shape our nation's in? We want to blame the government. It's always the government's fault. It's the man, right? Is it? Or is it partially my fault? What did 2 Chronicles 7.14 say? If my people, God said, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, their wicked ways. You see, we're waiting for the world to turn around. God's waiting for his people to turn around. Then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. That's God's prescription for healing this nation. Saul, in 1 Samuel 15 we have an example of his idolatry. Verse 22 and 23. God told him to go and, and uh, take the Amalekites completely out. Not spare a single soul, not spare a single animal. Don't take any of the spoil for yourself. Well, Saul had a better idea. Saul said, well, that just doesn't seem very good. I think I'll, I'll do most of what God said. And he spared the king and he kept a few of the cattle and and uh, then he was caught red-handed. Samuel, the prophet, showed up and said, Hey, what's this mooing I hear? And uh, Saul said, Well, we kept uh, some of the cattle alive, and we kept the king, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna execute the king. We'll just you know, have a little sport with him, but uh, we kept these cattle alive so we could make a uh, sacrifice to God. You see, sometimes we just do just enough of what God says to do. And, and we, we, we keep back just enough because we say, well, we want to make more money so we can give more money to God. Statistically, that never happens. If that were the case, we wouldn't have a budget deficit. Because many of you are making more money than you've ever made in your life, but the, the church doesn't have it. We're not able to, to go. We're, we're having to tell missionaries, Southern Baptist missionaries, you, have, you need to retire early because we don't have enough money to support you out on the field. Why? Because God's people who are busy making more money aren't investing that money into the real gold that lasts forever. It ain't all about money. It's about time. It's about energy. Saul said we wanted to make a sacrifice, and this is where we get this great passage of Scripture. He said, has the Saul, Samuel said to Saul, Has the Lord his great delight 
in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. God calls us out of idolatry. Are we going to heed that call and say, yes, Lord, you are more important than these things? We say that, we think that, we even call ourselves believing it, but we're not living that way. We're not living as if God is our gold. Listen, when an athlete says, when Michael Phelps said, I'm going to win gold, he means it. He proved it last Olympics. Brought home eight gold medals. Record-breaking Olympics. When Michael Phelps says, I'm going for gold, by George, you can bet he's going to win gold. He won't settle for less. He's disciplined himself his time, his energy, his resources into pursuing that goal. That's why if God is our goal, we spend our time, our energy, our resources, and our careers, our jobs, our family in pursuing God and his purposes. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye at some point the kingdom of God. Seek ye when you have time the kingdom of God. Seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. You put me first, I'll take care of you. All these things will be added unto you. But we don't believe that. We don't trust him. God calls us out of idolatry from trusting in things to trusting in him, to worshiping him from worshiping things. We don't bow down to them physically on our faces, but we bow down to them with our time and our money and our energy. God calls us out of idolatry. God tells us that he's the greatest treasure. Turn to Genesis 15. Now remember, what was gold for Abram and Sarah? A child. That's why I, ask you, I want to ask you, what's gold for you? I hope you're thinking of something. Honestly, not being some super spiritual person. We're not playing games here. Every one of us here, we have something in our minds that we know this is what we want. This is what we think we have to have. No, so let's not play games with God. Let's be real. Now, you may not say it out loud, but don't, don't play games with God because he knows our hearts. So for Abram, it was a child. But listen to what God said in Genesis 15:1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. God said, Abram, I'm your treasure. Abram, I'm your gold. If you're not happy with me, now I'm, I'm, I know I'm paraphrasing a good bit here, but I'm trying to make application. If you're not happy with me, then even if I give you a child, you're not going to be happy. I want you to understand, Abram, that, that it's me. It's about a relationship with me. It's not about getting what you want. It's about me. And you connecting with me. And that's what he would say to you and I here this morning. He is our gold. He is our treasure. The Bible tells us that over and over and over and over. Like in Psalm 16, 11, You will show me the path of life. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Like Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Like Psalm 63, O God, you're my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. You know what the psalmist is saying? It's not just your soul and your spirit that needs God. It's your body. You know that? We're killing ourselves physically in the rat race we're in. We're physically killing ourselves. Whereas when you put God first and make Him first in your life and pursue Him and He becomes your goal, all things seem to fall into place. It affects every aspect of your life. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. See, I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Now I want you to Put your finger over that last phrase. There's a blank. Because your loving kindness is better than life, comma, then there's a blank. David said, my lips shall praise you. What are you going to do? Because God's love is better than life, I will what? What are you going to do? You going to sit there and come to church every Sunday? That's your duty? Come to church. That's my duty. I'm going to come to church. I'm a good Christian. Go to church. I'm so glad you're at church. Please keep coming. But that's not it. You ain't done yet. This is practice. This is training. Man, how does... We marvel. We watched swimming last night. How do those guys get themselves so lean? Man, I wish I knew. I know. I don't want to do it, though. <laughs> I don't like backing off from the table, you know? Those guys are lean and mean and trim. How are they so fast? How do they learn that butterfly technique? And then switch gears. I mean, in the, in the 400, they have to do four different types of swims. How do they switch gears like that so quick, from the butterfly to the breaststroke to the, to the backstroke to the freestyle? How do they do that? Man, and then the technique. You know how they do it? They come to practice, and they train, and they practice, and they train. and they. So you're in practice today. You're in training. So keep coming to training. You're not going to be able to be very effective out there if you're not involved with the body of Christ. Some people say, I can be a Christian and not be, uh, uh, come to church. You're exactly right. You can be. You can even go to heaven without coming to church. But you can't be very successful in this life as a Christian and not be a part of the family of God. You see, because the church is the body of Christ. The church is, the Bible says, the bride of Christ. And if you love Jesus, guess what? You're going to love what he loves. And he loves the church. He gave himself for it. And if he shows up every day, who are you to stay home and say a bunch of hypocrites? You ain't no better than Jesus. But I'm not talking to you because you're here. I'm talking to those people that say out there, oh, you're going to church. Matthew 22, 37. Greatest commandment. Jesus was trying, they were trying to trick him. They said, what's the greatest commandment? They were thinking of the whole book of the law. Genesis through Deuteronomy. Maybe, maybe they were just thinking of the Ten Commandments. Okay, Jesus, out of all ten, point to the greatest one. They were trying to trick him. And Jesus said, 
the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with as much of your heart as you can muster. Right? With all your heart. He didn't stop there. With all your soul and with all your mind. And you see, like every other command that God gives us, when obeyed, it brings the greatest joy, the greatest delight, and the greatest blessing. We should know that by now. Any command that God gives us is not burdensome, but it leads to greater joy, greater blessing. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Verse 18, Peter wrote, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Let me ask you this. How were you saved? How did you get from hell bound to heaven bound? How did you receive eternal life? How is it that your sins were forgiven? Was it your boss? Was it your career? Was it your bank account? Or was it the precious blood of Jesus Christ? So what should you be living for? You should be living for that one who redeemed you. He, who saved you. You see, in Acts chapter 17, Paul encountered some men who were worshiping just about every god there was. In fact, they even had an altar, in case they missed one, to the unknown god. And Paul encountered that, and he marveled at it. And so he took an opportunity to tell them about this God that they did not yet know. And he said, This God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord. That's God's desire for you. His goal is you. He wants you to know him. His goal are souls, your soul, the souls of every man, woman, boy, and girl. They... He wants them to turn from their way. He wants us to turn from our way and to turn to Him. He says, in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Therefore, since we're the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent. God's calling us to turn from our idolatry and to put our faith and trust completely, our life in Him, the greatest treasure. He tells us He's the greatest treasure. I think somehow we don't believe that. And if we truly believed it, it would radically change the way we live our lives. 
The third thing I want us to see this morning, and lastly, is God calls us to offer our treasures to him. What was Abram, Abram and Sarah's gold? What was it again? Turn to Genesis chapter 22. And look at verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. So God had given him a son, Isaac. And now he says, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God wants you to take your gold and put it on his altar and say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm exchanging my gold for you. You see, what we cherish so much must be placed on the altar of sacrifice unto God, even our family. See, that's what Abraham did. He took his only son the only hope he had of that promise being fulfilled, that God said, I'll give you the descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the seashore. His only hope was Isaac. And now God says, sacrifice him. You see, it doesn't make logical sense for you to have to give up what you cherish, what you want, what you've hoped for, your dreams and aspirations. But that's what God is exactly what he's asking for. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I'm not going to say it's easy to follow Christ. I'm not going to say it's easy to, to, to give up your life for Christ because it's not. But it is the most rewarding experience you'll ever have. It is the greatest life in the world. It comes with the greatest peace, the greatest hope, the greatest presence and power that there is, and that is God's. It comes with the greatest Benefits. It comes with eternal life. It comes with the forgiveness of sins. It comes with all these things that His Word promises. It's not easy. But let me ask you this. How's your life going? Is it easy? you got to get up crack of dawn tomorrow. Is, that e Is it easy to get out of bed on Monday morning, Ben? No. I bet your mama and daddy... Pull their hair out, trying to get y'all out of bed. I've told you my story. When I was a teenager, my daddy would come in, first thing he'd do, and I, he knew I hated this, that's why he did it. He'd flick on the light. I still can't stand light. In fact, when I first get up, I, don't, I try not to turn on any light. If I can do it in the dark, I do it for at least a little while. Make coffee. Of course, I got the kitchen light. Sitting in my recliner reading my Bible, I got this, the windows there. But I try not to turn on any extra light. I just can't stand light. Daddy walks in, turns on the light. Time to get up, son. And he walks out the room. Do I get up? Oh, no. What do I do? Covers over the head. That's easy. Make a little breath hole with the covers so you can breathe. <laughs> Y'all do that too? <laughs> Next time he comes in, he squeezes my toes. He says, son, I said, get up. Do I get up? No, I just roll over. <laughs> the 
The third time he comes in there, he grabs the covers at the end and yanks. And you better have pajamas on. <laughs> How's your life? It ain't easy. Your life ain't easy with trying to live the life you're trying to live. without. I'm not saying you're living without God. Some of you are saved and doing the best you can, but, but we can do better. We can, we can really spend more time loving the Lord, devoting our lives to Him, giving up our treasures for Him. Look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 3. So Abraham did what God told him to do. He took his son, and he took him on this three-day journey to Mount Moriah. He loaded the wood. He took the fire. He brought the knife, and, and Isaac finally said, Dad, you know, here I am. I, the fire's here, the wood's here, but where's the lamb? Verse 8, Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Listen, whatever you give up to God... Don't worry about it. Just give it. Give it to God. God will provide. God will take care of it. You, ain't, you, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Abraham did this knowing, Hebrews even tells us, knowing that God would come through. Somehow, someway, God would come through. It says they came to the place where God had told them Abraham built an altar, placed the wood in order, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar, and Abram stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord said, Abraham! And then God spoke to him and said, Now I know that I am your gold. Now I know that you fear God above all else because you have not withheld your gold from me. You have not withheld your son from me. What is it that we're holding back from God this morning? What is it you're holding back? What is it that you won't give him? Because it's too dear to you. Friends, if you'll give it, you'll find God's all-sufficient. Why should you do this? Well, number one, God deserves it. God deserves my best. He doesn't deserve to be my silver medal. He doesn't deserve to be my bronze medal. God deserves to be my gold medal. Number two, God asks for all my heart. He asks for it. And because He deserves it, I want to give it to Him. Number three, why should I? Because you need it. And we won't be happy until we do. Again, I ask you, how's your life right now? Are you happy just like it is? Or do you know that you need to give up something? You need to give up pursuing whatever it is that you're pursuing. Or you need to make some changes, some adjustments in your life. But thirdly, the reason is because you know you need it. You know this is the right thing. Olympians are striving for the gold medal. How do they get it? By just showing up at the Olympics? It doesn't happen by osmosis. They can't just hang around other athletes and all of a sudden become fit and ready to swim 400 meters without stopping. They have to discipline themselves. They have to invest the time and the money and the energy that it takes to get to that point. And when they do, and they make the team, and they compete with joy, compete with uh, pride, and they win the gold, then they're filled with joy. Can you hear the national, their national anthem 
playing over. They're standing on the top of the platform wearing that gold medal. You see, we too are striving for a gold medal. The Bible tells us that our gold is not perishable, though. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, Paul writes these words. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. We're striving for an imperishable gold. The first gold medal that you should be striving for is God himself. There may be some of you here today that have never been saved. You've never taken the opportunity that God's given you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and to ask him, God's son, who died on the cross, who shed his blood, who rose again. You've never taken the opportunity to ask him to forgive you of your sin, to admit to him, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I have disobeyed you, and I do need you, Lord. I'm asking you to come into my life and forgive my sin and save me. If you've never taken that opportunity, the gold medal for you would be to receive his son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior and Lord. You see, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then he gives you his gold. He gives you his presence. He gives you his salvation, his forgiveness of sins. He gives you eternal life in heaven with him. And then there may be many of you who've already made that commitment to Jesus Christ, but you know you're not running the race like you should. You know you're not, you're not pursuing the true gold. You're, you're settling for bronze. And it's eating your lunch, and you're miserable. And the reason you're miserable is because you're not finding the fulfillment that comes only when you pursue God. Jesus would say this to you and to me who are like that. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You hear him this morning? And he's not talking to lost people. The context of this passage is the church of Jesus Christ. Why would he have to knock on my door? Because I shut the door to him. I X'd him out a part of my life that he, I wouldn't let him control. And he's steadily knocking. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I'll dine with him and he with me. Open your door. Give him your gold. And let him be your gold. You'll never ever regret it. No matter what you have to give up, you'll never regret it.